Thanks to Airbnb for sponsoring this episode of Industry Focus. Whether you're looking for some side cash or a steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you've made yet. Go to airbnb.com slash fool to start hosting and learn about a $100 Amazon gift card offer for our listeners. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Tuesday, and we're talking about GameStop and Funko, so video games and toys. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined in studio by Motley Fool contributor Dan Klein and via Skype uh, by lead advisor for Motley Fool Pro Canada, Jim Gillies. So excited to have you guys on today. Uh, how's it going? So this is a weird one. We were talking <laughs> to Jim earlier today just to get some background. And effectively, we were doing a show in a conference room, so we invited Jim on. Jim, it was very nice to meet you. Glad to have you here. Good to make your acquaintance finally. I've seen you writing a lot, Daniel. And Appre- Nick, um, appreciate that. Yeah, it's just it's kind of one weird thing and led to another, and we're going to talk about uh, one of the more interesting names in my universe, at least. <laughs> and we're going to argue about it a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. GameStop, well, we did GameStop off the top, the back half of the show. We'll talk a little bit about Funko. Uh, GameStop, obviously, most people will know. Video game retailer. If you've been to a mall in the past ten years, you've probably seen it there. Uh, traditionally, it's been a business that has uh, driven a lot of its sales through used video games and those sorts of things. You come into the store, you trade your games in, and you buy some used games on the cheap. However, as video game sales have moved online, its operations have really started to struggle. Shares are down seventy-one percent over the past three years and thirty-six percent uh, year to date. So you know, uh, first off, you know, again, you you look at those uh, the pre-owned video game products as two twenty-two percent of their sales in two thousand eighteen, down thirteen percent year over year. It's their highest margin part of the business. As you see that starting to deteriorate on the operational side of the business, what do you, what do you guys as analysts think when you take a look at that? I'll let, I'll let Dan go go first off the top. So in my opinion. This is a company that's being managed really well to zero, <laughs> because, and 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 I know there might be a bottom for the end of the physical, you know, video game. We all talked in books. Books are no one's going to buy a book. Well, it stopped at about fifty percent, but there's a sort of something lovely about owning a book. There's nothing lovely about owning a CD. There's no benefit to. It. They don't even give you a booklet half the time anymore. I download most video games I buy. Because if you buy it in the store, you still have to do the like three-hour update. As internet connections get better, more and more people are going to do it this way. There's no reason to go to GameStop other than to buy the lowest margin games. And when you're looking at Microsoft saying they might move to a model where you lease an Xbox and it doesn't have a disc player, that's a big piece of the market. And it just seems to me that there is no reason we need physical discs. They're going to go away. And then what does GameStop sell? Like a couple of t-shirts and some some collectibles? Yeah, that, that appears to have been the move to try to focus more on collectibles and accessories. Obviously, Fortnite has been a huge thing, all, all the rage in the past couple of years, maybe past year or so. And that's driven a lot of sales in video gaming accessories, headsets, and things like that. You know, uh, Jim, as you look at the operational part of the business, you know, like Dan said, you're going to see physical video game sales that can appear to trend down over time. They do have some opportunities in the collectibles and accessories. When you look at their operations, kind of big picture, what are your thoughts on their prospects moving forward and whether that they have a chance to stabilize by moving into these other, you know, uh, verticals? Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, if we're, if we're, if we're going to play a role here with Dan, and <laughs> there, uh, I'll, I'll be the, I'll be the tepid bull. Um, I, I will say tepid because I've been maintaining um, an options strategy on GameStop for going on 10 years now, 
on and off in the various services I, I operate. Um, and that option strategy has been to basically sell the upside. So when you sell the upside, you probably don't think there's much upside. Just, just a, a, But, you know, beyond that, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the arguments that, uh, that Dan is making. And I don't necessarily disagree with them, to be honest with you. Um, but I would counter that with saying that 10 years ago, when I first started doing this strategy that I've employed along the way, that was, those were the same arguments. Physical <laughs> games are going to go away. Um, there will be no reason to, everything will be downloaded. There'll be, uh, you know, the, the PlayStation insert number here, or the Xbox, whatever number they're up to will come without a physical drive. Everything will be downloaded. And that has not yet happened. And the next generation, Microsoft itself, leasing, sure. Uh, but PlayStation as a, as a, as a rebuttal PlayStation is for their PlayStation five, which is looking like Christmas 2020, uh, rough delivery, you know, they're saying that they will continue to have a drive. They will continue to uh, use physical media and they will actually be making it backwards compatible uh, with the PlayStation 4. So all of those games that you're going and buying from GameStop uh, for $5 that, you know, retailed for $70 a year earlier, um, you know, GameStop will still be getting that piece. So it's, I don't necessarily disagree with the direction of the company. And I think you'd be very hard pressed to... <laughs> disagree with it to be honest with you um but I, I i perhaps disagree with the speed and 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 i have disagreed with the speed and, for and most i'm not of the past i'm decade. not making any call on speed it's kind of like grandma's 90 she's in really good health but she <laughs> she <laughs> but, could, she's 90. but she's 90 and so you've seen some gamestop stores we talked about earlier that have done a transformation that have that have changed their merchandise i've been in I'm going to say 15, 20 GameStop stores in multiple states, multiple ones in the state of Florida where I live. And they're all about the same. They're all that like 2,200 square foot, crammed with games, hard to find stuff. There's no ability to play. They might have the station where you can play, but it's turned off because they don't want kids playing. So, <laughs> yes, you know, you said they updated the one at the mall near you. It's much bigger. It's in a great location. I haven't seen a company commitment. I they talk and they have a new CEO. They talk very vaguely about transformation, but so far their transformation has been to talk about transformation. And I don't see what they could pivot to the way Barnes and Noble has stabilized by adding a whole bunch of other categories. And even then mm -hmm. stabilized, not done well. <laughs> yeah. And, and exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, to kind of, kind of square that off, I mean, management agrees that operations are going to continue to deteriorate. If you look at their guidance for fiscal year 2019, they're calling for comp store sales down five to 10% and total sales down around the same amount. But just because the operations of a business are deteriorating over time does not necessarily mean that there's not some value to be squeezed out of the business. Everybody hears about Warren Buffett when he was up and coming, these cigar butt stocks, companies that you know they don't have much of a future, but you're buying a dollar for 50 cents today. And there's some argument to be made uh, that there's a little bit of that there with GameStop from a value investing point of view. Uh, this is a company that has $800 million in net cash on the balance sheet, uh, and it's trading at a market cap of $800 million. So, uh, you know, when you, when you take a look, at, when you take a look at that from a valuation point of view, uh, Jim, it, what opportunities do you see here to, to maybe, you know, buy a cigar butt here with GameStop that it's left for dead, <laughs> but there's a little bit more juice to squeeze out of, uh, squeeze out of it before all said and done. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm going to commiserate a little with what Dan said there. I mean, yeah, the, the, the location near me is has improved. But, no, they kind of lost a year, and they were diversifying. They were trying to pivot, uh, to use Dan's vernacular, and they, they went into their tech brands thing where they were selling uh, AT&T services, direct TV services, some Apple stuff through their Simply Mac stores. And, and they had some issues there, and, and they've ultimately now divested themselves. So they kind of lost some time trying to do what Dan was uh, asking, what could they do? Uh, and the other thing is uh, they hired clearly the wrong CEO because he was out in three months. <laughs> and, and so they've now brought in a new guy. We've like literally seen nothing from him. So, you know, those things have probably made their circumstance worse. Um, but as you say, 800 million in net cash in the balance sheet, stocks selling for 800 million right now. I like to joke, it's a free company. Um, but the issue is what is the future gonna bring? Uh, last year they did about, depending on how you want to measure it, they did about 230 to 250 million in free cash flow. They have a 19% dividend yield. That's not me stuttering or something. I actually said 19% <laughs> that costs them $155 million to fund. So on a, on a looking backwards basis, they've got money to spare. The problem is looking forwards, this year will probably be fairly lean. Uh, and then 2020 with the next console cycle, what does that look like? And how? what level of physical games are being maintained at that point? So I can say free company. I mean, literally when the company's enterprise value is less than its net cash balance. And it's a, there's a bit of a trick there because... Um, they're obviously uh, a lot of their cash comes in around the holiday season hmm. and they don't pay for their working capital until after the holiday season or the, the current quarter. So that, that $800 million is going to fall over the first half of, um, of this fiscal year. They'll probably burn about 400 million, 450 million maybe uh, over the first two quarters. It's hard to say because they did divest those other operations. Uh, and then they they ramp up in the tail end of the year, and that's when the cash flow comes. Um, but you know, it's hard to it's hard to call a valuation. I mean, like you, you can say, oh, they're trading at uh, I don't know half a one point five times EBITDA enterprise value to EBITDA. I mean, like the, any valuation ratios you quote make no sense right now. It made no sense for a while um, on a discounted cash flow basis. They still make no sense because, I mean, if, if you assume that they're doing some kind of uh, – they will continue to be free cash flow positive, then they've got no problem getting rid of all of their net debt as it comes due. The next one, I believe, is March 2021, and it's still throwing up cash flow. So they, But you know, to go back to Dan's earlier point, how fast are they being managed to zero? Right. right. Um, and, and one of the challenges is – so a lot of times you look at a company like this that's struggling. And you can see a logical pivot. The only logical pivot here was pay-for-play virtual reality in-store gameplay. And more and more malls have those as standalones. And the GameStop yeah. foot footprint largely doesn't lend itself to that. So they're, they're generally smaller, crammed stores. So I, I've been in retail. I've run a toy store. We talked about this a lot of times. You you look and go, okay, well, what's the retail niche that they could jump into that would be sort of adjacent? 
what are they, hot topic t-shirts? Like, like there's, there's no obvious play here. You know, they can add self-serve frozen yogurt to all the stores, sell gelato. Like it just, it, it doesn't seem like since they got out of the cell phone business, which, which was kind of a logical adjacent, it doesn't seem like there's anything other than little incremental things. And if you don't need a video game, I doubt you're going to GameStop to buy Pokemon cards or whatever other thing they might sell. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those where if there is a meaningful floor up underneath these operations at some point, like like you know what Jim was talking about with backwards compatibility that's going to keep, keep people coming back and put a floor up underneath that decently high margin used business, there's clearly some valuation here. However, if we continue to see that decline and the free cash flow that they're generating you know, stop, you know, starts to stutter or move down, uh, then the valuation story may, may, may fall apart. But I think what, what this company is an example of, at least, at least in my experience, if you, if you're going into investing in a company as a value play and you feel super, super comfortable that, uh, <laughs> that, you know, everything's going to work out perfectly, it's probably not as good of a value as you think it is. And, uh, before we move on to Funko, any last things you guys want to want to mention on GameStop and you know what to pay attention to going forward with this company? It's not an immediate risk, and and I think this isn't Radio Shack. This isn't a company that's out of money on its fifth chance. It really is healthy grandma. So if she falls ill, it might be three years, it might be ten, but she's not going to live to be one hundred and forty. Right, Jim. Yeah, I would. I'm still. I'm struggling with the healthy grandma metaphor <laughs> right now. I, I I feel like we're talking down grandma. Um, but the uh, no, I I think that the the new guy watching the new CEO, what he does, he does have. Uh, I believe they called it substantial retail experience in the in the glowing uh, press release when they hired him. But we really don't know anything about him or what his strategy is going to be. Uh, they just filed their their proxy statement last week. Uh, I have not had a chance to read it yet, uh, but um, we we literally know nothing about what his strategy is going to be. Now, I would presume, and uh, this may be dangerous, I would presume they hired this guy because he was able to go into the job interview and lay out a vision for where he thought GameStop could go. I, I would hope that they would hire based <laughs> right. on that criteria. <laughs> they, um, they went based on height, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I mean, like you know, he 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 knows a guy who knows a guy. But no, I, I would assume that he went in with some sort of a vision, and that we are going to see in the weeks and months ahead the kind of the the, the initial steps for that vision coming to to fruition. Because because uh, I, I don't disagree terribly much with what Dan says. There's no obvious pivot. The pivot they they did try to do. Uh, I mean, obviously, the the other pivot too is is um, I'm I'm old enough to remember the uh, GameStop before the collectible stuff, and now collectibles are everywhere, and in certain stores they're cluttering the place up, and in other stores, uh, as I said earlier this morning on our private call, uh, the store in my town at the mall, it's a couple miles away from the house, um, they uh, they went from a small cramped store, well packed in, to a store that's easily two times the footprint. And into very clearly, uh, like every everything that Dan is not seeing in Florida, <laughs> everything he's saying, I'm not seeing this in these stores. I, I'm like, come to Guelph, Ontario. I'll take you to the one in the mall in downtown, and it's it's exactly what you're calling for. And so those types of, if they're going to go for those types of remodels, you can go in, you can play the games, that sort of thing. Uh, I want to see what the CEO does. Uh, it would not shock me. A 19% dividend clearly says the market does not believe that your dividend is 
adding any value, um, you may as well cut it to, oh, I don't know, 8 to 10%, uh, which is still far more generous than anything else out there, as long as you're going to use the cash for something um, value accretive. So what you, they have a $300 million stock buyback. Uh, the only thing I know from the proxy that was, I said, just back just released last week. The only thing I checked, they have not bought back any stock between announcing that program and the proxy that came out. A little disappointed in that. Uh, and then the, the last thing I would say is that they had a couple of very small activist investors kind of sniffing around. And somewhat strangely, GameStop welcomed the, uh, two of their director nominees to the board. Um, because these guys don't own enough to, I, I would have thought they would have just brushed them away. They're just, I think they own about one, one and a half percent total of the shares, but they've welcomed a couple of new people onto the board. So I'd like to see, you know, I'm assuming they're not there to collect the direct, you know, their, their $50,000 a year in director's fees. Again, I'm assuming that someone has a plan. One of those small hedge funds uh, who was the activist, uh, I, I think has been a, uh, an investor since 2012. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm looking to see anything concrete uh, from these guys, uh, do you have ideas? Because right now, you know, Dan's sitting here saying, there's no obvious idea. Okay, guys, GameStop, there's the gauntlet. It's thrown down by Dan Klein. Now, if I said there was an obvious idea, will they put me on the board? Because <laughs> it, really, it really seems that they are looking for ideas. <laughs> they are looking for ideas uh, because the one that they did go with, uh, they, they had the rock, which was the, the Tech Brands Initiative. Uh, you know, the rug got pulled out from under them there. You know, games, uh, walk-in medical clinics, cannabis sales. Yeah. Like. Hey, it's cannabis, <laughs> cannabis sales. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I am, I am, uh, I'm watching to see what's going to happen, but I'd like to see things that are obviously value accretive. And, you know, in a world where Redbox can get acquired, which, I mean, <laughs> yep. Red, Redbox was acquired, I think, at about four, four and a half times EBITDA. GameStop is tricking way below that, and yet they couldn't sell themselves. So I, I find that to be, you know, I find me a more pessimistic stock out there that that has the the quality of balance sheet and cash flows currently. I it it's it's clearly people are suspecting or seeing that there is no future here. They're they're all on Dan's side, is my point. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, for our listeners, we are taping this on May 21st. You'll get this episode probably right after GameStop has reported earnings at the end of May. So it's very possible that GameStop, by the time you hear this, GameStop's management has laid out their entire reorganization <laughs> strategy and makes us all look really dumb. Uh, but we'll see how things go. It, really interesting business. A classic valuation story of where the company's left for dead, but there, there, there could be uh, some real meaningful opportunities to squeeze some more value um, out of these assets. Thanks to Airbnb for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. If you're looking for some extra income, then hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. That's because it's free to list your home, and Air Airbnb offers a $1 million host guarantee that helps protect your property in the unlikely event that something goes wrong. Host when you want, how you want. It's all up to you. There's so many ways to utilize extra income from hosting on Airbnb, like paying your bills, funding travel, or subsidizing home improvements and saving up for retirement. And if you like to travel, why not use your home to make you money while you're out and about on your vacations? You know, I can tell you for myself as a, as a traveler, I don't think I've been on a vacation where I haven't stayed in the Airbnb in an Airbnb in the past three or four years. It's you know it's much better experience, at least for me, 
uh, than staying at a hotel. And it's one of the first places I go to uh, when I travel. Uh, go to Airbnb.com slash fool to start hosting, and you'll receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by July 31st. That's A-I-R-B-N-B dot com slash fool to start hosting and learn about a $100 Amazon gift card offer for our listeners. Terms and conditions apply. You know, Jim, you mentioned how collectibles are becoming really hot and just a bigger and bigger part of you know uh, what people are consuming. And that ties in right to the company we're talking on the back half of the show. And that is Funko, uh, ticker FNKO. I think both of y'all are, are kind of uh, collectors when it comes to these sorts of things. Uh, you know, before we dive into this company, do y'all own any any uh, Funko Pop figurines or any of those sorts of things in your own personal collections? So I'm I'll, staring at one right now. <laughs> I'll I'll go first. I don't only because when we moved from Connecticut to Florida, I downsized dramatically. Mm-hmm. So everything I bring home, I have to throw something out, or else yes, I absolutely would have some Star Wars Funkos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so Funko is a company. It was founded in 1998. Uh, kind of went through several rounds of ownership. The founder sold it in 2005. It's bounced around through a few private equity holders, but it IPO'd in 2017. Fell more than 40 percent on its first day of trading. Was the worst <laughs> performing IPO uh, since the year 2000 when it came onto the market in November 2017. Closed set around seven dollars on that day, but has since tripled and today trades around 21 dollars. Which just goes to show, we hear about these Uber and all these other IPOs. Now, I have my own skepticism around these companies, but just how you perform on your first day of trading has no law, you know, does not necessarily mean where the stock will end up uh, long term. But just to give uh, kind of an intro into Funko, folks aren't familiar with it. If you, they make 81% of their revenue comes from Funko Pop figurines, they're kind of a little bobblehead toys, stylized uh, with a bunch of different uh, licensed characters that they use. Uh, uh, to to sell their products, they call themselves a leading pop culture consumer product company. That they are an index fund of pop culture. Um, they have over 672 active properties sold in 2018. Talking about Star Wars, Harry Potter, NFL, video games. It's interesting when you look at, at this company's story that they they sell themselves as this index fund of lots of different brands, but at the same time, so, it's a one product company with eighty one percent of the revenues coming from this one product. When you all look at this as, so, as an analyst, what, so what are you talking about? Let me give you a little context yeah. here. This is a product that costs between like seven and twenty five dollars, depending on the exclusivity, a little bit of the workmanship that you can't play with that you don't need. This is Pogs 2.0. <laughs> the, these are beanie babies with Star Wars faces. It is a fad that will pass, and at some point, kids won't think these are cool. And I'm not saying it goes to zero, because 45-year-old men may still think they're cool, and again, we're pretty good at that. <laughs> and there might still be a market for the Star Wars and the, the Game of Thrones and some of those licenses. I see zero way this is a pop culture phenomenon on the level it is, and it may still grow, but it's going to burn out. There is a long history of fads like this burning out. Yeah, I mean, uh, see, this, this uh, isn't Hot Wheels cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember when I was growing up. You know, I'm a child of the '90s. Uh, I remember the Beanie Baby explosion when all those sorts of things uh, were happening. I, you know, I, I don't. There, the comparisons are. Def- you can definitely see the comparisons uh, there to Funko. I, However, it was interesting to me how you think of a company like this that pushes out a lot of different exclusives, you know, or different variations of products that 
that long-standing brands, uh, so brands like Harry Potter and Star Wars, are make up almost half of their revenue. So it, they're they're less driven by these cyclical pops up of hey, Avengers is in the is in the is in the uh, the news this year, uh, and that drives a lot of sales. Uh, so that that was uh, interesting to me. The other interesting thing to me was their uh, their retailer uh, breakdown. So we talked about GameStop on the front half of of the uh, of the show. GameStop is their largest retail customer, a nine percent customer. Also, one of their largest customers is Hot Topic. When you see, you know, we we just spent the first half of this show kind of ragging on GameStop and kind of legacy uh, uh, kind of mall retailers that you know their prospects going forward. When you see that, uh, you know, a meaningful, at least if you combine GameStop and Hot Topic together, a meaningful part of their business is from those companies that you, you think may be sales slowing over time. Does that concern you when you look at this company? Obviously, you know, you've compared it to Beanie Babies, but when you layer that on top of, of their retail strategy, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I'll let Jim go first because I talked on the last one. <laughs> well, well, first of all, I don't know if you've got the camera on, but I'm going to hold up my little Funko here of Boba Fett. So, yep. <laughs> uh, I, I, I live in a collector house. Um, Dan says, you know, 45 year old men still think these are cool. I will dis- disclaim that it's not the man in this house who's the main collector. <laughs> um, my partner is a rabid collector of a bunch of things, and I think she's trying to keep GameStop in business. Uh, but we're on Funko here. Um, yeah, I, I am because I go to the Comic Cons and I've, I've done it, I, I, people are rabid for these things, and I'm not sure why, <laughs> but you know, I, I can tell you there are several dozen of those in this house alone uh, because people they, they do love them and 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 some of them yeah they, they are uh, you know I think Dan said they were seven to twenty five dollars I I wish some of them were twenty five dollars um, you know if you if you get a rare enough one you're you're paying more and and people seem to love them. Maybe people loved Pogs. I don't really remember the Pog, uh, the Pog craze. Uh, I certainly don't hear from Pogs much anymore. Um, but I, I was actually a little. I said earlier, uh, just privately between us, I was. I this is today is the first day I've known that they are public. I had no idea these guys were public because I look at them as such a one-hit wonder. I just figured they were. They were owned by one of the giant toy behemoths or by private equity that has, you know, got a perfectly good little business that's hot. You're selling them. But um, knowing these are public, the the first thing that came to mind was I would be scared of my mind to own this thing standalone because I look at it and say that that is a one trick pony that their offerings, the breadth of their offerings is massive. I mean, yes, you can get Star Wars, Harry Potter. Uh, you can get Princess Diana and the royal family if you want. You can get any pop culture. They're everywhere. But I just, I, I and, and they they continually are releasing new series. So, you know, uh, the one I have here that I just held up a minute ago is from Star Wars, like Series 8. Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch more, and they're, you know, it's focused on this movie or the classic characters or Rogue One or Last Jedi or whatever. I, Boba I just, Fett dressed as Santa, like you know. There, there's every level of gimmick here. Yeah, and I, <laughs> oh yeah, no, uh, they they really are, and and I just, you know, uh, you you loved the second uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find the movie. Now you can buy the Johnny Depp knockoff. I'm just like, I, I can't imagine how many of those they made, but you know they had to make make some run. And they're gonna have to take buybacks, or you're gonna see it, and you're seeing it now in Five Below. 
the oddball ones that didn't sell, Johnny Depp's sidekick in Fantastic Beasts, <laughs> or, or, you know, not R2-D2, but R2-B4, is those are showing up in Five Below, and you're going to start to undercut the market. It's very hard to maintain a hot product. And give me one example ever of that happening if it's not a playable product. Barbie Hot Wheels, but those are toys. This isn't a toy. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this progresses. Obviously, I I don't know the right word for it, but I get, I've heard nerd <laughs> culture thrown around it is becoming a bigger and bigger influence in you know in our in our society. I guess today, you look at Ooh. Funko. This company has been around since 1998, and it's really for me. I only really have started noticing these these toys in stores maybe the past three or four years. So it's really you know started exploding in the past few years. Again, talking to those trends uh, in a, in a, in a uh, analyst report uh, that that uh, Funko sent out, they called out the average age of their customer is 35 years old. Uh, to Jim's point earlier, 51% female, which surprised me. I had the image in my mind of, of what Dan was talking about <laughs> of uh, you know more of a nerdy uh, masculine type. But type female, buyer. not necessarily buying it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mom buys the birthday gifts in a general, broad, super stereotypical sense. Mm-hmm. So you know, again. Having been in a toy store, during the week mom comes in, dad comes in on the weekends, there's a much better chance dad's buying himself a model or a collectible, and mom is buying it as a gift. So that that stat's probably a little misleading. Yeah, again, you look at some of their operating mess, I mean, net sales have been just moving consistently up and to the right over the past several years, gross profit as well. However, net income has been more or less flat the past several years. You know, you look at this, this is a toy company Trading at 53 times earnings. Um, again, we, you know, we, we've, we've kind of shared our, our doubts about it being more of more or less a one product company. Um, do you do either of you see a path to where this could justify this valuation, um, or is, is this just one of those we think is just going to fizzle out? No, Mattel's going to buy them. Or, yeah. or, or, I was going to say. <laughs> well, the only problem is the Mattel and the Hasbro's. Both of those have been struggling mm-hmm. in the past little while. I, you know, I but I, I follow Spin Master, which is a Canadian uh, toy maker, and a toy company, and and they have been struggling in the industry, and and yet they're positive free cash flow, and and they're at least moving earnings in the right direction, as opposed to the big two, Mattel and, and Hasbro, which have really struggled. I I'm hard pressed to remember which one has done worse recently, but I looked at all three of them with with Spin Master. Um, yeah, Funko Funko will get sold to someone, and Again, if they if they are the Pogs 2.0, as Dan calls them, <laughs> I would I would hope they would have the great good sense to sell before you know the 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 bell tolls midnight, because I I look at I I've just got a research report up on the one uh, on the one screen here and looking at some of the uh, the consensus estimates going forward and and well bore you with numbers, but you know, I'll just summarize it as they are dreaming in Technicolor if they think they're going to get these numbers here. Like the, the you know, the, the net margin is going to go from one and a half percent to twelve percent in the next three years. They, they also no. talk, talk a lot about <laughs> diversifying their product base, but the way they talk about it historically has been a challenge. One of the areas they're saying is, well, we have all these licenses, let's build games. Mm-hmm. Again, Toy Store experience, people buy games based on gameplay. There is a very limited market for Star Wars Trivial Pursuit. There is a very limited market for 
games set in the Harry Potter universe. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to have a sustained hit in general in games. So I don't see this like very obvious pivot now. They could make action figures. They could do. They could do other things. But those are different licenses. They're different fees. They are kind of looking for the next hit in an area that who would have predicted the first hit? I mean, they're bobbleheads. It's a stupid product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as as an owner of Star Wars Trivial Pursuit, I'm going to need to defend that a little bit. Me, me, me uh, too. Me too. <laughs> the original, right? Not the not the I, recent one. The I have the one. I have the one where R two D two is the the dice. Is the die? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's that's the one I've got. But but no, like the uh, so I, I kind of hold it up here. That's your typical Funko. It's a little little squat little figurine based on whatever pop culture you're looking at. I have seen in some of the stores I've been in recently where they they are trying to branch out into not the little squat bobblehead, but like almost like a playable action figure kind of stuff. I you, you look at them and go, well, well, that's not a Funko, that's not a pop. And, and so I, I I'm in agreement with with Dan here, going like, yeah, pivoting to where they need to go is. You know, we we talked I, a little. I, I, I'm not gonna. <laughs> Just to quickly wrap up, because I know we're running out of time. The sure, one sure. potential saving grace here, and the technology's not there yet, is if they could move to a 3D printing in-store model, mm-hmm. and all the Ooh. stock ones, <laughs> the problem is the cost of that and the time of, like, you might put in, I want my R2-D2 and walk around the store for 10 minutes. You're not going to put it in and come back a week from Wednesday, like buying glasses. So as much as that technology is possible for, like, one-offs, it isn't there for mass production. But if it ever is... Toy stores are going to be one of the first places where you see printing of stuff like this because it gives you inventory control. So that could be a saving grace for the company, but it will be a division of somebody else by then. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. One last thing to call about, you talk about acquisitions. Uh, there's still, uh, at least from what I saw in S&P Capital IQ, 40, over 40% of their shares are held by private equity, uh, venture capital type investors. Of course, those type of folks sooner or later are going to be looking for a liquidity event uh, to of their holding, and obviously selling the company would fit to that that narrative as well. Um, so we'll we'll see how, how things go. I, I think both of these companies, you take them together, are very interesting. You've got Funko that is a part of this a trend towards you know more uh, collectibles as being part of culture and you know Avengers and Star Wars and all these sorts of things. And so the operations of the business really are moving up into the right in a significant way, but the valuation. Looks a little iffy, and you compare that to to a GameStop where the operational part of the business is clearly deteriorating over time, but the valuation might look appealing, uh, you know, on some of those metrics. So, two examples of companies touching these these trends, both video games and collectibles, that are really becoming bigger and bigger part of our cultures, and two different sides of of, of, the, of those trends. So, thank you guys so much for coming on the show, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, having you guys on again uh, again uh, soon. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Jim Gillies and Dan Klein, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool On. All right, folks. You know, sometimes after these episodes, when we have a fun topic, we like to do a little bit of bonus discussion that's not investing related. One of my favorite things to do, me and Dan have done this in the past, is to steal an idea from one of my favorite podcasts, Pardon My Take. They love over the summer to do their Mount Rushmore of different topics. So we're going to do, we just got done talking about GameStop. So we're going to do our Mount Rushmore of our favorite video games of all time. I've, once again, I've got with me Dan Klein, Jim Gillies, and Austin Morgan is going to jump in with us as well. 
So we're going to go snake draft. So first off the bat, Dan Klein, first pick, who you got? Uh, Blades of Steel. This is not a game I expect you to remember. <laughs> I was, I'm 45. I was in high school. This was the first hockey game that allowed fighting. So it was kind of a, a, a graphic step ahead for where it was at the time. But you could throw the gloves down and have a fight. And fighting has largely been removed from hockey in general. And it's not part of the EA NHL franchise, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, but this was the first, like, oh, my God, I can do what they do in the actual game. Yeah, I used to play the heck out of some NHL hits on the N64 <laughs> growing up. And, uh, yeah, that's half the game. You fight people and you can get the other, other guy's best player out of the game. Uh, for, great one off the bat. Uh, Jim, who you got uh, for your first pick? Well, I'm going to quickly correct Dan. Yes, you can fight in EA hockey. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I know that. I have a 14-year-old boy. Um, my, my first pick, so I, I am a massive Star Wars nerd. I was six years old when the first movie came out. Um, it has, uh, shall we say, dominated my collection, if we're going to talk about collectibles a little again. So my first game would be the first-person shooter game, Dark Forces. It was oh, on the yep. PC back in the day, and you were this kind of rogue guy on a path to becoming a Jedi Knight, and it was a first-person shooter of stormtroopers and bounty hunters, and it was amazing. And it was just, it was like, like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I uh, had several sleepless nights due to that particular game. (laughs) Very nice. Austin, who you got? My top four are much more recent. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Go ahead. Uh, my number one I think is. You us old. <laughs> my my number one is the Red Dead Redemption Two, which just came out not that long ago, but probably the greatest game I've ever played. Yeah. What's well, like Grand Theft Auto in the Wild Wild West? Is that? I mean, how can you get much better yeah, than that? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I uh, for my first pick, it's you know, pretty easy for me as someone who grew up in the South, went to Alabama undergrad big college football fan. It's the NCAA football series. It really broke my heart when they took it away four or five years ago. Uh, maybe, maybe maybe even longer than that yeah, now. It's, it's crazy. It blows, it blows my mind how long ago it was. Um, but there are some rumors they might be bringing it back that the NCAA has been exploring ways to get that back out there. So fingers crossed. By, you know, If NCAA football were to come back, my video game playing time will go up exponentially. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if our listeners want to be rooting for or against that. Maybe our podcast quality goes down when I get when I get that game. But uh, all right, Dan, what you got for your second pick? Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Ah. Not not only was it a, a great game in the arcade, it was an amazing game at home, and it was one of the first boxing games that came out where you really could could build your way through the ranks. It had memorable characters, and getting to Mike Tyson at the end was like the stuff of legends. And there, there was no internet then, so you'd share, like, you knew a friend of a friend who figured out the pattern you had to do to beat Mike Tyson. I never beat Mike Tyson, and I, I probably have six months of gameplay on that game. Yeah, that's another one. It's like, it's like Tecmo Bowl, Bo Jackson. It's being Mike Tyson and Punch Out. You know, for the folks, you know, me and Austin maybe of a different generation when it comes to video games, but for it seems to be, uh, you know, from that founding era. Um, Jim, what's your number two? Well, since uh, now both you and Austin are essentially calling dead, I, hope. <laughs> um, I, I too am going to go back into the coin op uh, arcades of my dimly seen youth and uh, talk about Gauntlet, which oh. was. A two-dimensional maze game for one of four playable types of characters, warriors, elves, valkyries, or wizards, magic potions, uh, and you would fight various ghosts and demons. But the the key hook to it, uh, and probably where a good year of my tuition went, um, the key hook to it was you had health that was perennially 
just declining regardless, whether whether you're getting hit or not. And so you had to funnel in a steady stream of quarters, and it was uh, <laughs> probably the first one that. Uh, and then you would, you know, you and it was it was um, collaborative gameplay up to four people, and so you you know you'd play with your buddies, and okay, who's who's the most hurt? Okay, you can take the food this time, or you can get the potion. But it was, uh, uh, and and now of course you can get it in the, the home games, but it's just not the same because you know it doesn't have the siphon out of your wallet. So yeah, still a good game. Yeah, awesome. I would go with Battlefield One. I think that game side to NHL, the NHL EA NHL franchise has my most gameplay hours. So, are we measuring this in hours still, or are we in days? No, now? I mean, I just, I mean, oh no, we're <laughs> probably in days. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So my uh, my second pick is Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. That's probably the best game ever for the N sixty four, and uh, that was what I always played when I was growing up in the nineties. I remember when I was a kid. I would like start the game over from zero just so I could go through like the beginning part of the game. It was like my favorite part of the game to play. And uh, that is probably one of those games. They didn't, you know, back then they didn't track how many, how much time you had in the game. But gosh, I must have days and days and days into that game. And uh, it still holds up, uh, holds up uh, to this day. Dan, that's uh, your third pick. So we're going with things that make me seem old. Okay. And you know, <laughs> the Madden football series is the benchmark. I mean, you liked NCAA, but it is wonderful gameplay. But I'm going to say Madden 94. (laughs) I feel like the fun factor versus realism factor was the highest then. That they've moved too far into the, like, you have to become an offensive coordinator to play Madden now and actually, like, spend time studying the playbook in the offseason. Like, it's too much. But Madden 94 was the sort of best mix of realism and, like, arcade-style gameplay. All right, I don't have anything. <laughs> I, 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 might, I don't know if it, it's going to hold up nearly as well today, in my in my view. But uh, it's a bold it's a bold pick there, Dan. Uh, Jim, who you got for number three? Well, I'm going to say it's the, the granddaddy of all great strategy games, but the second iteration, Civilization Two. You talk about gameplay, yeah. Forget hours, had days into this game as you're you're trying to go from a Stone Age level tribe. You're trying to expand your operations, take over other civil civilizations competing against you, uh, build up until you. And basically, it, it's a race to the moon. But you're starting in the Stone Age, and it's turn-based strategy. Uh, and you talked earlier about uh, pre-internet days, so you had to have a buddy who would tell you a cheat code. I can tell you, in university, several of us would skip our studies so we could play this 24 hours a day occasionally. And you're calling each other at all times of all times of day and night. It's like, how do you get past this? What do you think about this strategy? So it's it it, it probably cost me a good uh, a full a full point on my grade point average. I'm thinking my third hey, year. Worth it, worth it though. <laughs> awesome, who you got for number three? I will take you into the arcade also, and I will go the not so realistic football route with NFL Blitz. Oh, 100 percent. I played that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, NFL Blitz is like is the NFL version of NHL Hits, which is also incredible. And Same thing. MLB Slugfest, also a great one. Yep. Also NBA Hang Time, you get the guy on fire. I mean, yeah, all the all those <laughs> all all the like fake sports video games where you can like make your player be on fire at some point in time, and uh, you know all those things it, it, it is yeah incredible. Um, all right, for my third pick, um, I'm gonna go to the Game Boy Color Pokemon Yellow. The best Pokemon game <laughs> by far. You get to have Pikachu. You get to have all the starter Pokemon. Okay. You get to, it's like just like the cartoon. So when I was a kid, I used to watch all the Pokemon cartoons. 
Still have my Pokemon Yellow. I had the special Game Boy that ha- was yellow and had Pikachu on it. I still have that <laughs> in my childhood home. Uh, that's another one. I can't tell you how many hours I had in that game, but it was time and time again. And uh, yeah, it's, it's always going to have a special place in my heart, Pokemon Yellow. Uh, all right, Dan, we're on last last one. Bring us home. I'm going to argue greatest video game of all time, Super Mario Brothers. Drop the mic. Nuff said it's a, a perennial oh. franchise that they've built 10, 30, 40 different games off of. But at the time, it advanced. You know, We had the Atari 2600, and then the, the Super Nintendo came out. And that was the killer software. That was the thing where like your parents watched you play because it was an arcade-quality game in the home. And that might be the only game I stayed up all night playing. <laughs> That's another one that holds up just as well, too. I mean, I, you know, you, you can pick up that. I mean, I remember I was on spring break my senior year of college, or no, my junior year of college, and we were visiting my friend, uh, friend's beach house. We didn't have any internet connection, but we had a uh, SNES that had uh, Super Mario Brothers on it, and we played you have to that. to blow on the cartridge to yeah, get it to work. We played that, and it, it still held up uh, just as well. Um, all right, Jim, what's your last pick? Uh, last pick. Another arcade one, you talk about fake sports, I give you the original fake sports game. It was called Exciting Hour, and it was pro wrestling. Yep. <laughs> you, would, you would have a pro wrestling match against one of five opponents. Their movesets didn't vary all that much. It became really just attrition. But if you got really good at it, you could spend three and a half hours in the arcade on one quarter. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I can't say I can't say I have any sample size of this one. What about you, Austin? No one will remember it. But yeah, I, I, I never played that. <laughs> I've never played that one. Um, yeah, we'll have to find. Do you think play. maybe that was a Canadian only? Game? No, no. It's yeah, Japanese. we need to find. We need to find it somewhere and try it out. All right, Austin, your final pick. Uh, my final pick. I'm going with Grand Theft Auto Five, and whatever Grand Theft Auto comes out next will probably take that place. Yeah. It ties right in with the Red Dead Redemption 2. We're sensing a theme here. Um, all right. I'm going to bring us home. I've got a few to choose from. Uh, you know, other ones that I, I'm thinking about. Modern Warfare 2, one of the best Call of Duty games. Minecraft, mm-hmm. I was playing that when it was in beta. But uh, the one I'm going to pick... Maybe folks, maybe folks wouldn't think of it, but it's the BlackBerry Brick Breaker game. If anybody knows that Ooh. game that was on the BlackBerry, and you could play, and you grab the little, you got, you could get the laser things, and you could, uh, you could shoot the missiles and all that stuff. It had like 50 stages. I have an emulator of that for my iPhone. Whenever I'm in the airport and can't go anywhere, that's the game I play. It still holds up. I, you know, I, I'm not even ashamed. BlackBerry Brick Breaker game. Um, any of y'all have have any honorable mentions you want to throw out before we go away? Any game involving Spider-Man, the gameplay of getting to be Spider- I'm playing the current one on PS4, just so you all don't think I'm like living in an 80s arcade. (laughs) But the gameplay of swinging around since like PlayStation 2 has been unbelievably fun. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, thanks so much for coming on. I hope our listeners enjoyed this little discussion. If y'all, if our listeners have any of, uh, they want to share their own Mount Rushmore's with us, I would love to hear, see them and, uh, if you want to tweet them at us at MF Industry Focus and uh, share them with us, and we'll see which ones are our favorite. Thanks again for coming on, and uh, look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thank you. Yep. All right. Thanks so much for coming.